You know, so I wanted to be the guy to have, you know, my finger on the trigger to be a part of the continuing of the relationship building because I don't control critical variables that are critical to that kid's experience. So that kid's entire recruiting pitch in high school was what he wanted to achieve out of choosing your school over all the schools in the country. So I felt like I wasn't a part of that process. I was a part of the recruiting. I was in part of continuing the relationship once you got on campus from a personal standpoint, but not a football standpoint. And I feel that now I, I see it through so more because I want to be the coach that can relate to the players, but also get you your PhD in football while you're with me for three to five years in college. Hello, 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 and welcome back, or welcome to Up Close in Personnel. I'm your host, Alex Brown, Director of Recruiting with Rice University, and I just want to say thank you for listening. It's been a busy month with fall camp all across college football, but uh, just really appreciate the patience. I know I haven't posted a ton this past month, and you know we're going to do our best because we are in full football mode. Um, had some games on last night. We're traveling up to Fayetteville today, and uh, I'm just really excited about this season. As far as the show, this week we're joined by the first ever guest, Brian Carrington, who's made the jump from recruiting to coaching at USC. On his last appearance, we talked about what makes a good recruiter, how to build relationships with recruits, and how to create really lasting connections. If you want to hear and learn more about Brian's background, go to episode one, check that one out later. As for this episode, this one was really about kind of the growth that he's experienced in the move to coaching, what his recent internship with the Rams has been like and what he learned being around pros, why he made the move to coaching, and just some general recruiting advice on the tail end. And we did record this on Sunday before September 1st. And uh, I apologize for not getting that advice out to you guys before September 1st hit, but hey, uh, it's the price of admission and it's still very, very valuable content. So take some notes. Really, really enjoyed this conversation because Brian is just a good friend and I'm just really excited to see his growth on the field. Now, lastly, before we kick things off, quick word from our sponsors over at War Room. Up Close in Personnel is brought to you by WarRoom.com, a team management software company that's providing solutions for teams all across football. That's high school, college, and pro. Check them out at WarRoom.com to get a free demo today. From recruiting to logistics to compliance and everything in between, they are absolutely worth looking into. With all that being said, I will now kick it over to my conversation with Brian Carrington. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. BC, welcome back. How are we doing? Doing good. Doing good. Glad to be here. It's been over a year since you've been on the show, and... You are now coming up on month seven in LA and you just finished up a minority internship with the Rams. How has life been in LA? And I really want to just dive straight into this. How has the experience been working with the Rams? 
I mean, LA has been an unbelievable experience. Uh, working with the Rams has been enlightening uh, from a football standpoint, from a, a, a player relations standpoint. I feel like it was an entire perspective shift being in the NFL and seeing how the NFL works versus college. I mean, obviously, um, on the college level, kids aren't treated like professional athletes. So I feel like there's a consensus on the college level that they'll get rid of a player before they get rid of a coach on the collegiate level versus in the NFL, you know, they got a lot of money investments in these players. And so if you're not coaching and putting these guys in the proper position, and if you don't have the proper relationships with these guys, you're going to be obsolete real fast and in a hurry. So I feel like in the NFL, the uh, <clears throat> player relationships is the priority, I feel. I got a general sense of that um, in my experience with the Rams. Yeah, and it's so kind of counterintuitive, right? Because it's like everybody thinks of it just as a business or more of a business. Um, can you talk about like, maybe specifically with like Thomas Brown, right? So there's a bunch of mic'd up videos and kind of showing an inside look at how he coaches. And all you see is you just standing in the corner, really kind of like soaking it all in and just learning from this NFL coach who also worked a ton of time at the college level. So what did you see from Coach Brown or maybe other coaches on the staff that kind of kind of broke down, okay, this is how I can, you know, add to my repertoire as I'm making the transition to coaching and, and how I can do a good job of building those relationships. Uh, TV has been, you know, a mentor to me for so for so long. And I kind of saw him at a distance, but I feel like this is the first time I actually got to work really hands-on in a football environment with TV. So getting to see TV interact with his players, you know, was, was me kind of being a fly on the wall and observing that. But knowing TB off the field and then seeing him translate to being a coach, you know, was what I expected. But just witnessing it was just something that was uh, intriguing, something that I looked forward to every morning, just being a, a fly on the wall in the meeting room, seeing how he relates to his players, seeing how he breaks down uh, the film. I mean, uh, he's, he's really passionate about it. He's really detailed when it comes to uh, teaching his guys. I mean, you only have so many – uh, hours with the guys in position meeting rooms and TV is going to make sure that that time is spent efficiently, you know, so being efficient with the time that you have as a priority, not wasting time uh, with the players that you have. Cause to me, uh, my perspective, it was kind of intimidating, you know, um, you know, for example, you know, Aaron Donald was on the ramp. So just the, the idea of being his defensive line coach is like pretty intimidating. I mean, they got a hundred plus million dollars invested in Aaron Donald. If this guy doesn't like me, uh, one, I'm out of here. If this guy doesn't relate to my coaching, two, I'm out of here. So it, it, it kind of puts the coach uh, in the spotlight, even though the players are on the spotlight, because behind the scenes, I feel like these coaches are on the spotlight every day because it's a thin line between players being able uh, to respect and learn from you. Uh, I feel like that's a thin line uh, there in that relationship to where not only do these players respect me, but I'm in a position where not only do they respect me, but they are also capable of learning from me. I feel like that's a, a challenge that maybe not a lot of coaches uh, are vocal about, or maybe the people on the outside looking in don't realize, you know, um, that dynamic. That they're more on equal footing than 
people would think. Yeah. So take us back to how did you get this opportunity? What did, what were the steps that you took and, you know, kind of take us back to, you know, the lead up to getting the internship. Well, the lead up uh, to the internship was, I think, uh, obviously, you know, me having a relationship with TV was able to give me the proper uh, steps that I needed to take along with the process. I feel that he was able to put me in a proper position uh, to be selected for the internship, if that makes sense. But he was way out in front and let me know since I, you know, made this move to LA and I was local and I was right down the road at USC, it would make all sense in the world for me not to, uh, for me not to pursue it. So in the spring, I was able to pursue a, a little internship during OTAs to just experience them installing the playbook uh, to the rookie running back that they drafted, Jack, uh, Jake Funk from uh, from Maryland. So just being a part of uh, that process was intriguing, but it led to further steps needing to be taken to secure the internship. And then USC would also have to um, be willing to let me leave during the early parts of fall camp to be able to experience such a such an opportunity. So you know, I'm very thankful to, you know, Coach Helm at, at, at USC for uh, allowing me the opportunity to grow while taking a step away from the program because not a lot of uh, people would want to give you that opportunity. And I understand both sides of it. Obviously, you want people to grow and develop, but at the same time, you got to take care of the team, make sure you're putting your team in the best position. And and you say opportunity to grow and, and you, you credit Coach Helton for allowing you to do that because not all coaches, you know, are open to that. Um, let's let's kind of talk about your move to coaching and why you chose USC because there were other teams in the mix. You kind of made it very very clear that you wanted to make the transition onto the field, how you wanted to, you know, create some longevity and really maximize your ability in college football to engage athletes because. Let's face it, there are limitations to being on the recruiting side. So what made you choose USC and really kind of attack this coaching route? Okay, um, I'll probably attack the coaching first um, before I I choose why I chose USC. Uh, The coaching route uh, being from a personnel standpoint, I never felt like I had my finger on the trigger, if that makes sense, Alex. Um, I was often a resource to the coaches. I could also, I, I, you know, I grew uh, a report in the office to where I could e- initiate the recruitment of some kids. You know, I can initiate their evaluation. I, but, you know, but I couldn't stand on the table for a kid. I didn't have my finger on the trigger. You know, so I felt like I wanted to do more and I could do more. And obviously I was put in a position at Texas to go on the road um, and recruit and experience that and, you know, I, I told people all, all, all the time, I tell people all the time that that, that struck, you know, uh, a zeal in me that continued to burn for so long to where it became something that I wanted, something that I felt that was attainable, you know. So I wanted to be the guy to have, you know, my finger on the trigger to be a part of the continuing of the relationship building because I don't control playing time. I don't control critical variables that are critical to that kid's experience, to that kid's entire recruiting pitch in high school was what he wanted to achieve out of choosing your school over all the schools in the country. So I felt like I wasn't a part of that process. I was a part of the recruiting. I was in part of the continue the relationship once she got on campus from a, uh, a personal standpoint, but not a football standpoint. 
And I feel that, you know, my experience with the Rams also, even now, I, I, I see it through so more because I want to be the coach that can relate to the players, but also get you your PhD in football while you're with me for three to five years in college. So I felt very limited in the role that I set in. Um, so I felt that I could do more. I wanted to coach. I wanted to to be involved more than uh, more so um, with the X's and O's. Um, and I, I didn't want to be handcuffed to an office. I wanted to be able to go on the road and recruit you. I wanted to be able to go in your living room in, in, in the critical moments of your recruitment before signing day and make you come to my university. So I felt really limited and handicapped in that position. And I wanted to put myself in a different lane, if that makes sense. So by putting myself in a different lane, I felt that that would provide me longevity, not only, um, you know, financially, but it would provide me um, longevity in this, in this industry to, to, to climb the ladder, to grow. You know, uh, at one point in my career, I cared about credit. Now I don't care about credit. I care about growth. I care about, you know, um, <clears throat> achieving all the coaching goals that I, had, I have for myself now if that makes sense. And, you know, the reason I chose USC over the other schools um, was coming out here and meeting these people. Um, really my conversations with, which co with Coach Heldon before I even got on a plane to come out here were really eye-opening to me. Uh, it made me want to go meet the man in person uh, and, and discern his spirit, discern his character, have a look in the building, you know, um, because I feel that it, you know, in, in our roles, I can't be recruited. I'm gonna make the best decision for me and my family at the, at the end of the day, you know? So coming out here, meeting Coach Heldon, you know, walking in the building, meeting people from USC, I felt everybody was themselves. So, you know, I felt that this was an unbelievable environment uh, to attach myself to. Obviously being in Los Angeles will provide, you know, um, options outside of the building because I don't define myself as, as just somebody involved with football. I have a lot of interests outside of, of football, you know, so I feel like being in LA, being at a historical university like USC was something I could never imagine getting this opportunity to coach. Most people have to take a step down to get on that coaching track, you know, so for me to go from one blue blood uh, prestigious university to another blue blood prestigious university is, is, you know, unbelievable from a, you know, when I look at it from a perspective standpoint, it's unbelievable to have that opportunity. And coming here and having those conversations with, with Clay Heldon, you know, made it a, a easy decision for me. And looking back, I feel like it's one of the best decisions I've made in my life. And how has the, what's the biggest difference between Texas and, and California to you? I mean, you're a Houston guy through and through, so big cities aren't, aren't new. Obviously, Austin's a pretty big city too, but how's it been living in LA? Um, I mean, the weather is, is amazing. I mean, you know, we, we practice all spring and it's like 71 degrees. I feel like we're playing in, in my living room, you know? So the weather is, is unbelievable. Um, people really friendly um, out here in California. Uh, the options of what to do out here and work is, is amazing. I mean, like Thursday, every week for, for game week after practice, we get day night, you know? So coach Heldon lets everybody of their, of their staff off on Thursday before practice. And we don't have to be in the office until the next day around noon, you know? So I feel like it's certain stuff 
done within this program that is about the values that Coach Heldon prides himself on, which is faith, family, and football. You know, so it, it has to be the delicate balance. We, we can't be in the office, you know, from sunup to sundown consistently every day. You know, we have to be able to detox. We have to be able to enjoy life. I've, I've, you know, coaches at some points, you know, go uh, give the time off to go experience their children, go to a high school football game, go support their family in Little League on, you know, certain mornings when you can. You know, so I feel like you got to give back to your staff. And I feel like I'm a part of a, a staff where I'm witnessing, you know, certain stuff that I feel like is, is peculiar, you know, to, to uh, how college football uh, staffs are run or how football programs are ran. There's this like narrative that like, you gotta be the first person in the office. There's a lot, there's a lot of like definite social pressure to like be the first one and the last one to leave. And there's, there's something to like, being intentional with your time and being efficient. Um, you kind of said that about Coach Brown earlier. What did you see at the NFL level um, in terms of like maximizing your time, both with the players and as a coaching staff? And do you see some of those things carry over to now that you're back into, you know, USC and getting ready for week one? Yeah, because like when you're dealing with, with pros, like what's, what was enlightening, in, in that experience, so there's no wasted time, even in a practice set. Like, there's no BS, it's, you know, kids trying to take cheap shots, somebody trying to take you down, somebody trying to sun you on the football field. It's really professional how those guys practice, how those guys prepared for football. And so I feel like in college, there's not that level of maturity and discipline. I, I you know, I want to bring those values back to USC and, you know, make that a part of our culture. I think we do a good job at that, you know, but I feel like at college football for hold, there's no, uh, there's, is there, it was eye opening to see how they practice, how they prepared, how they took care of each other versus the stuff, the shenanigans that go on in college, shenanigans that go on in high school. We were a part of some of those shenanigans at Houston. We know what the type of stuff that happens. That doesn't happen uh, in the NFL. And so to see that, they got a lot of work done, uh, a lot of reps in. There was no wasted time. And, and it was the same way in meetings. You know, if a meeting was was one hour, the meeting is going to be exactly one hour. And it, it didn't spill over because they wanted to be respectful of the, the pros time as well. And then when it comes to like evaluating, I, I feel like you're now opening up your mindset and your approach to the game to a whole different aspect, a whole different level we always talk about players and we're always talking about, you know, guys in college, guys in the pros, guys in high school. And, and we constantly are texting each other or calling each other. But now that you're in the meeting rooms with, you know, the offensive staff, both at USC and then, you know, watching practice film with LA during, you know, OTAs, fall camp, all that kind of stuff. How has your thought process changed or maybe hasn't changed on evaluating talent? Well, it's, it's definitely changed um, because in the NFL, I feel like they don't look at it like we look at it from a college level. Everybody's uh, romanticizes the the power fives, the SECs and all of that. You know, I mean, I was a part of a, a running back room that didn't have a, 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 a P5 back healthy. I mean, I, obviously I had Cam Akers, but he was down with an injury. So in camp, we had Daryl Henderson. 
Raymond uh, Calais, Otis Anderson, and um, Xavier Jones. You know, so all of those cats, that's SMU, that's UCF, that's ULL, and that's Memphis, you know. Uh, from a personnel standpoint and looking at those body types in the, in the NFL, uh, it was a distraction, you know, for the first few few days because having that personnel background, I want to see whose jersey number that is, see what college they went to, see what high school they went to. I want to know the ins and outs of how that guy made his journey to the NFL. So, I mean, I spent my nights after meetings, like I had on my notes, like writing people's numbers down. Like, who is number 92? Let me look him up. Let me look up his history or whatnot. So, I mean, the body types, the veterans, like Deshaun Jackson, to see the people that stay in the league so long, what they do to their bodies and stuff like how they treat, how they prepare, how they train. Like, it, it's, it was so much things that I had to process those first few days that my mind was going a thousand miles per minute, if that makes, if that makes sense, uh, Alex. No, it does. And the, the follow up I got is um, you talk about veterans and how they keep their bodies right. You guys just got I mean, well, they uh, <laughs> you obviously have San Jose State next week, but the Rams obviously brought in big time quarterback Matt Stafford. So what did you see from him just in terms of how he carries himself and, and, and how he operates? I never seen somebody throw the football like Matthew Stafford in person. It was amazing. I mean, every throw was on a rope and perfect. Um, the offense with the Rams was very much complicated for me in comparison to the offense that I was learning uh, at USC as far as the, the, the concepts. Because in the NFL, you're in the huddle, you, you name the, the formation, the pass protection, the concept, and then the cadence at the end. You know, so seeing Matthew Stafford spit that out so fast. I mean, you should have saw the day one install from the, from the, from the Rams and what they were teaching their players. It was, it was like six point font all the way down on landscape, uh, on landscape mode on, on, on Microsoft Word. So to see him learn an entire new offense from coming from the Detroit Lions and learning that offense and how he spit it out was like, bro, this, this dude is a, not only a student of the game, not only is he, um, super, super talented, has the best arm, but to see how much of a student these guys are when it comes to football was one of the things that pointed out the most to me. It wasn't just athleticism. You think about NFL, you just think about the top athletes in the world. Yeah, they're just God-gifted athletes. No, the X's and O's and how much football these guys understand and can comprehend and can get down uh, and digest after a meeting is incredible. So it's like these guys in, in college, they go to the NFL and exhaust their eligibility or leave eligibility, leave meat on the bone and go to the NFL. They better be prepared because the stuff I saw was kind of intimidating for the stuff that some of these kids uh, are learning on a college level versus in the NFL. And it's grown men, you know, so to, to be in the NFL game, and it's fourth and inches or it's third and long, and they're throwing all those concepts out and all those uh, formations and different ways you line up. Like one formation had like nine ways to line up, you know? So it's like, if you don't even know the formation, you're literally going to drown out there and you're going to get exposed, you know? So like the level of education in the NFL, that's, that, it, it was intimidating. Um, it was intimidating from a 
me trying to put my players in the best position to succeed, you better get a PhD where you go to college at running back, at receiver, at whatever position you play. You better get a PhD at it because the NFL is no joke from, from that standpoint. So then did you come away with like, okay, when I'm in, when I go back and I start recruiting kids, I need to ask X, Y, and Z questions about their processing ability, their mind for the game, their love for the game. Were, were there some questions that you kind of came up with just after the fact and once you got back to USC? I mean, not necessarily, but I felt um, the weight of a huge responsibility, Alex. Like, if I want to go be a coach, I better go get in my bag. I better go learn the the ins and outs of this stuff. Like, you know, I got some films from those guys. It's unbelievable. I've been watching it, you know, forwards and backwards, but it gave me a sense of urgency and a huge responsibility to where I would feel bad if I got a kid to the next level and he wasn't capable of succeeding. I would know that before I sent him there. So it's just me trying to think ahead. I felt an unbelievable responsibility to where when I become a coach, you know, it's no BS. You know, you, you really got to put these kids in a, in a position to succeed because it's, you know, 500 other guys coming into the NFL every year. And if I don't put this kid in a, in a proper position, I just recruit him based on what he wants to hear and go to NFL and all of that. And if that's really what he wants to do, then he, I have to provide him a PhD in that position. Yeah. Set him up for success. And, yeah. and, and that's you taking the extra step past just getting the job done and winning games for USC. It's like, am I, Am I really helping this kid maximize his talent? Exactly. Am I giving him a, a, a toolbox that he can, you know, leave and take with him? So I like that word. I like that word toolbox because um, one, it's, it's, a, it's a spectrum of skills, right? And each position is different. And throughout the course of practice, you're working and honing in those, those tools, right? That prepare you for team and then ultimately like playing a game. So... How has it been from a, a mentality approach, uh, philosophy standpoint for you in terms of now going from watching practice for like ability, evaluating skill sets to now really, really kind of going in microscopic on one position, your running backs and the offense. Um, how has that transition been? You know, like working practices you know, really kind of diving into that position and, and the toolbox for that position. It's exciting. But at the same time, you're, you're so limited with time. Uh, you know, you got four periods on average, 16 minutes with your guys. And then the rest is, you know, seven on seven team, pat and go. So it's like you got 16 minutes to get this work in with your guys. But if you, you, you know, you can cry about the 16 minutes. But if you think about it, 16 minutes, you know, five practices a week you know, X amount of weeks, you get a lot of time over time with these guys. So you got to make sure that you're providing daily deposits um, to your running backs. But to be a part of the actual process of the education, the watching of the film, the practice, the education, because uh, I'm, I'm learning under uh, Mike Jinks to see how he educates the running backs and corrects them from the mistakes they make at practice. Um, it's a it's a great process to be a part of 
you know, so from me being a guy that wanted to be uh, one of the best recruiting guys in the country and not being in a team meeting, you know, it's that, it's that same perspective of, of coaching. I want to, now I'm a part of the coaching meetings. Now I'm a part of game planning. Now I'm actually out at practice seeing the installation of the offense. Like it's, it's truly an experience um, for me to know where I came from. I always look at it like that. I don't know. I don't know why, but to know where I came from to be actually doing it now, it's, it doesn't feel real. If that makes sense, Alex, it doesn't feel real. I'm enjoying every single moment of it, you know, but it doesn't feel real. And we've, and we talked about like, you know, where, where you've come from on the last episode and it was episode number one for, for me in the show. Um, and, and we talked a lot about connecting with recruits and finding your voice and, and really kind of figuring out who you are as a recruiter and as a school before you can like actually go out and, you know, impact other people. I really think the same is true for coaches, right? Like you can tell the real from the fake. Like we talked about that in recruiting, but you can also do that with coaching everybody has their own different style, right? Not everybody is John Gruden. Not everybody is uh, Tony Dungy. So how has that been for you to now kind of, you know, learn, kind of relearn yourself or reinvent yourself in a way? Like how have you kind of gone about figuring out your coaching voice and like how you engage your guys, you know, between plays, between reps on the field? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not fortunate to be honest. Um, I got to, you know, over time, maybe I will organically develop that coaching um, feel, presence, if you feel. But I'm focused on being a motivator to these guys. Um, I feel like I'm really relatable to some of these guys. So I've, I've been getting to know a lot of our backs over the seven months that I've been here. Uh, so just being a motivator, being somebody that can um, motivate them, give them the words that they need uh, to go, give them perspective, you know, uh, pick them up when they're when they're down. You know, I'm, I'm focusing on that aspect of it. I'm trying to gain trust with our guys. You know, I feel like that's important. You know, I feel like I'm new to the to the air. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to um, expect them to open up to me automatically. Um, over time, I feel like I'm, I'm building trust as, a, as I am right now. Over time, I'll, um, I'll win those guys over. I feel like I have, but I feel like over time, I'll have a strong report with those guys and then I can build on top of that. But right now I just want to be the best uh, motivator, you know, coach G's going to do, going to do his part. You know, I just want to motivate these guys and um, help put them in the best mind state if I can. Yeah. And, and I think what helps you be relatable is the fact that like almost all your offensive staffs from Texas. I mean, you guys have really kind of uh, brought Texas out West, uh, so to speak. Um, what's it been like working with a guy like Graham Harrell and, and that entire, you know, staff in general, um, because it's a young group um, and it's exciting. It's exciting offense to watch. It's been an exciting offense to watch going back to the tech days. Cliff Kingsbury, obviously a, a big influence. You can go all the way back to Mike Leach. What has that been like for you? I mean, those guys are awesome. Those guys are awesome to be around. Uh, it's exciting every day to just walk in the room. Uh, with those guys anytime we got downtime we're, we're watching film we're you know cracking jokes I feel like there's a lot of chemistry uh with our offensive staff especially with us being um from Texas um I think really high highly of those guys I think the sky's the limit uh for those guys uh and their futures um 
in college football. Just with, with Coach Harrell in particular, um, you know, what's his personality? What's his, like, signature on the team? And, and um, what have you taken away from him in particular? I mean, he's just really laid back. You know, he's laid back. He's all about ball, you know, all up in the film, you know, constantly. What I've taken away from him is the, the is the approach that he has with his players. Um, I feel like he's at a position to where the players respect him for his college career, respect him because he made it to the uh, to the NFL. But I feel like he is really relatable. I feel like he's been in the player's shoes. He's been a you know quarterback on the highest level. He's really passionate about the game. He can see stuff that they can see, you know? So I feel like the way he can relate uh, on the football, um, I feel like there's a, there's something about when you play this sport and when you've played this sport at a high level, when it comes to relating um, to players, when it comes to on the field education and stuff like that, I see that Graham has an unbelievable eye for the stuff that, you know, maybe Slovis might see, a receiver might see, all that type of stuff. Yeah, like the between the the you know the ear pads, like actually like wearing the helmets, a different view than than the the eye in yeah. the sky. No, this is this is really really awesome stuff, especially about you know just the the fact that you have to build that trust before you can just demand it or expect it, right? Yeah. And then just in terms of uh, from a recruiting standpoint, obviously you make that transition. Now you're on the other side of the room and you've, you talked about, you felt like you weren't able to really pull the trigger. Do you kind of have a different um, maybe appreciation of what coaching staffs do like on the coaching side? Um, and have you learned some things or some maybe limitations or from a time standpoint of like, okay, I need to have a little bit more grace if I'm a recruiting person working with a coach or vice versa. Um, has it kind of opened your eyes up to like the other side? Yeah, because you're juggling a lot of things, you know, with, with so little time. You know, you're wearing so many hats, you know, you're especially when the season starts, you know, you got football games to worry about, you got players to worry about, you got class to worry about, now you got COVID to worry about, making sure guys are taking the proper protocols, and uh, and and stuff like that. So I feel like um, it was like for me, from the recruiting perspective, it was like sending the coach to Dallas for the first time. And you wanted to hit all these schools, and you were like, "Wait a minute!" You know, if you're on the ground in Dallas, you realize it's 45 minutes to every school, so you're not really going to get to see more than three schools a day, really, in in the Dallas area, unless they're in the general same vicinity. I feel like coaching is that is that same uh, perspective because you have to really prioritize the time that you're in the building. You're going to have to prioritize recruiting. All right, I'm going to watch them from, from one to eight o'clock. Or if something comes up with one of your players, you're really, you know, in a, in a cluttered, in a cluttered schedule. If I was back in recruiting, I would be slight hesitant in certain uh, time periods of the season to kind of light up, lighten up a little bit on the coaches. And that would start, especially in fall camp, um, you have to lighten up with the co with the coaches. I feel like the recruiting department has to be an immense resource. And I feel like uh, the months of August, September, October are really huge to help the coaches transition from uh, recruiting to the season while still being able to maintain recruiting, if that makes sense, Alex. So I feel like um, during those pockets of the season, spring ball and uh, fall camp, 
like you literally have no time. I mean, it's literally from from sunup to sundown coaching football. So recruiting, um, if it isn't a part of my daily routine, anything added on that can be a, a, a big inconvenience to two coaches. So what is your what is your daily routine look like now that you're you're on this side of it? Like, just walk us through what Monday's going to look. What's what's tomorrow going to look like for you? Since we're off today, tomorrow we'll probably get in the office early. We'll game plan. Um, that's probably like a nine to uh, twelve window in the film. Uh, from twelve to two, we'll be off. As far as like uh, it's an off window for people to get lunch or whatnot. During that time, I try to get caught up the next week as far as scouting the next opponent because what I'm doing right now is doing scouting reports on all the personnel for the defense, as far as their habits, what, what fronts they line up in, uh, even given actual scouting reports, as far as the, the caliber of player they are, what their tendencies is, stuff like that. So I really have to allocate uh, time for that during the, during the week, because we, we do meet for a long period of time. When we were watching film, we we're watching film for a, a long, um, <clears throat> a real long period of time. And then we practice in the afternoon. We'll practice in the afternoon uh, before practice. We'll have a team meeting and we'll follow that up with special teams. And then we'll do position meetings for about an hour and then we'll head to the field. Uh, after practice, we actually watch film as a staff. So that could take an hour, hour and a half after practice. And then around that time, it's probably like 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Yeah. So how, how early do you get in to like try to clear your desk off before that 9 to 12? And, and like, how much time do you need to really get yourself right? We don't staff meet till like 8.30. So, I mean, ideally I would like to get in the office at seven. Yeah. So I, I really like idle time in the office. It's one of my favorite um, things to do in the office, whether that's catch up on film, whether that's uh, looking up uh, random stuff on PFF, whether if, if that's, you know, um, looking on Twitter for, you know, recruiting information that I could use for my advantage. You know, I feel like idle time is where, you know, I get my notepad out and just write a to-do list for stuff to do when I have idle time. And idle time for me is early in the morning before meetings. Idle time for me is from 12 to two. After practice, actually, we'll have a little idle time, probably 30 minutes after practice, you know, when coaches, you know, probably shower up or whatnot and get ready for the meetings. But, you know, I'll have some idle time here or there and that's where I can work on some of my presentations, some of my, you know, random stuff. Yeah. And that's something that I feel like COVID helped me get a better feel for is really learning the coaching staff's schedule. And it helps you to kind of be cognizant of when you have your windows of opportunity, right? It's like early AM before they go into their staff meetings, it's lunchtime. And it's at the end of practice before the film's uploaded, right? Because there's always that like 30 minute to 45 minute, however long it takes your video coordinator to, to upload the film. But they're just probably grabbing a meal and sitting down in their office. Like you can pick one or two coaches to just knock out some, some of the stuff that's on your to-do list. And this is kind of a, a general advice for, for the recruiting people listening to the show. The thing that I like is how you approach your off time and, and how you're really intentional about like, okay, that, that idle time, I'm going to always try to find a way to grow and to get better. I'm not caring so much about the credit anymore as much as I am about growing and, and me getting to, to my best self. The, the one thing that you mentioned, like PFF studies, like random PFF studies, what are you on right now? Because normally you're on the draft kick, 
but uh, what's kind of caught your eye and what are you focused on right now when it comes to just watching um, whether it's players or concepts? So um, actually like with the, with the PFF, like what I kind of look for, because I, I was telling some of our coaches, like it's August, like this is the month where you're recruiting the smallest amount of kids that you can recruit at, or that you're going to recruit the entire year. September 1st, that this is going to blow up. So right now I have a lot of templates that I've structured that I'm just awaiting box scores. You know, it's always trying to find ways to market the program. You know, obviously, you know, it was uh, said that we didn't run the ball last year, you know? So obviously if we run the ball this year, you know, we need to have marketing in place, ready to go. You know, the recruiting stuff I feel I do for free, you know, I feel like that's one of my passions. I feel like that's something that really is at the top of my list in idle time. What can I do to help the program? What can I do to give us a recruiting advantage? I even do this stuff for the other side of the ball. It just depends on what the numbers look like. You know, it's almost like, did you know uh, stuff? If yeah. They, if, you know, did you know this? You know, so when the season starts, there's, there's you know, PFF is, is, you know, provides a lot of marketing angles. You know, so sometimes I just look on PFF and just start looking at, you know, all the stuff that they that they have. I mean, even PFF Ultimate is, you know, really, really addictive because I can literally pull up anybody from college to the pros um, and look at their key plays, look at how many times they touch the ball, look at all the targets, look at literally everything about the player. So, I mean, if people think Googling random stuff at, at 4.30 a.m. is – is addicting to the personnel role. If I can look up any football player in the world and get every key snap. I mean, right now in the preseason, I'm going crazy looking at all these rookies that I've, you know, known from all the years. I'm like, I got to see every snap that they played in the preseason. So, I mean, that's, you know, like Joseph Osage sacked Tom Brady. I'm like, I got to look at that play on PFL. I got to look at all the angle. I look at the end zone angle. I got to look at everything. You know, but. It's probably been pretty cool uh, just with the Rams, your brief time. Uh, you know, guys like Ernest Brown, who we watched as a freshman and sophomore, Bobby Brown, who watched as a freshman and sophomore in high school. Um, you talked about Xavier earlier. Um, was it pretty cool to catch up with some guys that, that you had some recruiting conversations? Some of them not as much as as others, but guys yeah. that you, you nonetheless like knew about in high school. Uh, obviously, like when I was at the Rams, you know, obviously I knew Bobby Brown's on the team, but I didn't get to see him yet because the rookies didn't report till like two days after. Oh, well, the rookies reported the first day, but I don't think I seen Bobby till like second day. And he was getting off the elevator and Bobby Bobby saw me. And he was like, oh, snap, you with the Rams now? And I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, Bobby, I finally got you on the team, man. <laughs> we finally landed you. whatnot. But, you know, from recruiting or whatnot, even though I didn't land, some of these kids – it's amazing to see them still achieve their goals. I mean, that's where you wanted them to be. That's where you saw them, you know, so many years ago. So to see them there now, it's, it's amazing. Man, there's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, it's obviously a busy time of the year uh, with September 1st coming up. And, you know, I, I actually wasn't intending on even asking about it, but it is a huge, huge uh, component, right? Like that sophomore to junior year, it's a big jump. Um, what what's been your approach obviously you're kind of a little more targeted position wise probably looking more offensive guys and and running backs in particular but 
how do you approach September 1st and, and kind of kind of what's your, your philosophy around recruiting rising juniors? Yeah. Um, it's different since I'm not in a, in a recruiting department, I'm not tasked with like doing it for having a, a vision for everybody. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, um, the strategy, I kind of feel like the boogeyman out here on the West Coast because I'm up so late. So, like, you know, nine, eight, nine o'clock here, I can start hitting the kids up in Florida on September 1st or whatnot. So I'm, I'm you know, really competitive um, when it comes to that. My strategy is build ground early, you know, develop the, the relationship early. You know, if you are passionate about the eval, go build a relate. Why not build a, a strong bond with the kid early? Don't wait until he's overwhelmed with recruiting, you know, and he's, you know, a hot shot. You know, identify him early, build a relationship with him, and put yourself in, in position to land the kid. I feel like if a lot of people, a lot of people don't pay attention to how important your impact could be on the kid early on in the process versus you wait and he already has every offer under the sun. It's hard to make yourself appear different than the rest of the schools versus if you can get on the kid early. And I, I don't know, tell me if you feel the same way. I feel like if you do a really good job early of creating a strong, like kind of connection, um, the, that kind of can hold, hold Pat, even if you're not necessarily like red hot offering the kid day one, but it allows you to kind of be in the game regardless of what happens like what do you think about that oh of course you can you can buy yourself time yeah. you know because I, I feel like I mean I tell kids all the time these me getting on the phone and saying hey son you got an offer from University of Southern California congrats that's non-binding it's not even real you know your real offer comes on signing day you know when, when we hand you paperwork we fax you paperwork we send you that PDF that's your scholarship offer you know, so are we just, you just, you know, we haven't gave you that validation yet, pretty much, you know, but I feel that you can buy yourself time if you identify the kid early. And if y'all not ready to, to build the pen, pull the pen, at least the kid knows that he's getting correspondence from a university. Yeah. You know, like, you know, when, when, you know, if <clears throat> when I was at Texas, it could be kids with U of H and, you know, uh, SMU offers, I'm going to still talk to them and build a relationship with them, even if we're not ready to offer, you know, and that could buy me time to where this kid was like, man, this dude was, you know, open and honest with me from the jump. And now there's an opportunity for you to go to Texas. You know, I'm a, I feel I can be successful if I had the relationship with that kid. I don't need to offer to recruit a kid or develop a relationship with him. Yeah, because it's kind of like ice breaking honesty, right? Because everybody's so used to kind of being told what they want to hear. I mean, yeah, because the offer is like, hey, go on social media and tell all your closest friends that I gave you an offer. You can post that you got an offer from this universe. I mean, outside of that, what really is an offer? It's the relationships because these offers eva evaporate. I can, we can stop picking up the phone. There's no way you'll, you'll come here. There's no way you'll go to, to the school of, of your choice if they don't answer your phone calls. Yeah. And, and that's, that's even more true in a COVID world where rosters are, are so maxed out right now and, and eligibility is extended. Um, it's going to be a smaller class than ever before. 
Um, before we get you out of here, and I really appreciate you taking time, you know, before week one, before y'all play San Jose State, uh, what's some advice for the recruiters and personnel people listening to the show um, now that you've been on both sides of, of the spectrum? What, what's kind of your last word of advice heading into the season? Uh, be intentional with everything that you do. Uh, make sure that there's a, a purpose behind it. Um, and make sure at the end of the day, make sure that this is your pie, that this is something you're passionate about, something you're continuing to be interested in, something you have experience or expertise in. If it's not your pie, you're wasting your time. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, don't do it for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Where can our listeners find and follow you, man? I mean, I know where it is, but uh yeah you can follow me at coach bc underscore on twitter best of luck week one and uh i'm not gonna say fight on but yeah fight on keep your keep doing your thing man okay (laughs) i appreciate it man let's uh you know what is it uh intellectual brutality 22 let's go yes sir rice fight never dies all right bud you have a good one all right